Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny of Deljabar. Danny, what's going on, man? Happy birthday. Thanks, man. I'm chilling. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. For everyone who's listening right now, it's Danny Abdeljabar's birthday. It's my 10th anniversary of turning 21, guys. It's your 10th anniversary. <laughs> what are you, a chick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the eighth time I've turned 27 years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know so many girls who, who um, make that joke. They're like, I'm turning 27 for the fourth time. He. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. 27 is always that age that you want to stay. It's like yeah. forever 27. <laughs> it, is, it is really that age that you're like, I'm 27 years old. I'm wise. I'm so much wiser than yeah, I was when together, I'm 21. You're making a little money, you know? And I still have my entire life in front of me. Right. You That's, can still party, though, you know, you at 27. St- you can still be a mess. Right. You are You are a lot smarter when you're 27 from when you're when you compare yourself to your... 21 or 22 year old counterpart oh definitely i was an idiot at 21 22 years old i was an idiot at 27 though (laughs) i'm an idiot now so (laughs) yeah i'd agree with that (laughs) you would agree that you're an idiot now or i'm an idiot now yes both (laughs) (laughs) both yeah (laughs) i'll just take it as me um, what's what's up, everyone? So we have a couple of things to talk about today. Hopefully, we can get through everything. Um, Danny, we're recording on a Monday, which is unusual. Usually, we record on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. However, Danny's traveling to Austin, Texas. Teos. Teos. To you're you're going there to. I am officiating a wedding. You're officiating a wedding, right? Yeah, this will be my eighth wedding. By the way. Any any people out there that's uh, looking for an awesome officiant, I'm your guy. That's Hit what Dan, <laughs> Danny side hustles that he's a wedding officiator. One of many. <laughs> he will be he will be officiating my wedding and he will be dressing up as Link as Zelda. I'm down. I'm so down. I just don't think that my significant other would ever agree to that. However, that's 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 <laughs> my one contribution to any type of wedding planning in the future (laughs) however uh let's get to the topics today um so the first thing we want to do is that we want to recap our last episode because we were speaking about the houthis and that really astonishing victory over over saudi arabia um and then we want to hit the big news that is is uh the u.s has announced that they're pulling out of syria again Again. <laughs> Again. And what that means, what that means for, you know, is the U.S. going to do it? What if they Are they going to do it full way? Um, and then what does that mean for the Kurds, uh, the U.S.'s uh, favorite proxy? 
number that's one interesting pro- that's an interesting way to put it okay <laughs> the u.s's favorite proxy but let's start i want to talk about the houthis because um obviously when things like this happen like that battle in saudi arabia where three thousand soldiers were captured and it was a really just an incredible houthi victory you want to rush out and you want to talk about it as soon as possible because it's it's brand new however you have to wait a couple of days and, and usually probably around a week or so until you get all the until you get some some legitimate facts about what actually happened on the ground and i don't know if you've been following this but i've been following this for over the past couple of days and i just been i just been uh, kind of just reading stuff about what what actually happened in the operation and i think that if you listen to our last episode you'll you'll definitely appreciate this and find this really interesting so i'm going to start off talking about what actually happened and why why it's so interesting so the first thing that you got to point out is that this happened within Saudi Arabia's border, right? Which is very interesting. So huge, right? This was a three-day operation that took place in Saudi Arabia. Um, mm-hmm. Two of those days involved just herding Saudi-backed forces into these various valleys uh, within the Nijran regions of Saudi Arabia, which is located on the northwestern Saudi Arabian border. Um, of, of Yemen, or it's located in northwestern Saudi Arabia, right near the border of, of, of Yemen. And again, pull out a map if you want to see these things and, and know what the hell we're talking about, because um, it's just way easier to understand. But what you should know about this, this region in Saudi Arabia is that it's very desolate, and it's full of valleys and full of hills, like rocky hills and rocky valleys. So most of Saudi Arabia is just pure desert. Um, you know, most of the areas that are not in the major population centers, but this is just a, it's trying to think of a good comparison. Maybe think of like, um, a place in the Appalachian mountains or something, just rocky Hills. And, and so a lot of good vantage points for people to scope out. Right. Yeah. So the Houthis have a tactic of just observing these valleys and there were three Saudi backed mercenary brigades in a Saudi regiment. So there were four major formations that the Houthis started firing on, and they started moving them into these various valleys that were already pre-dialed with artillery fired and drone strikes. So mm-hmm. they were basically it was kind like, of it was, herding them like sheep and goats. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit when I was reading about it of like uh, the Native Americans, how they used to corral a bunch of buffalo into like a corner and then just like kill them all or like make them go off a cliff or some shit. It was just like that. Yeah. And what's what's really interesting is that all these operations they took place in Saudi Arabia for for a while. So I mean the the, the actual fighting took what took place over a three day period. But this had to this really shows you how much control the Houthis have within Saudi Arabia's own borders. So they don't have control over population centers within Saudi Arabia, but they they have they have control over strategic hilltops and high ground where they can just fire on um, armored. Regions and that really tells you something interesting because I I never would have really thought that I never would I never realized how much control Yemen had within the Saudi border. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard anything like that. No, no. I mean, like obviously, I knew that they had guns, right? And I knew that they were coming up in terms of like how well organized they were, and I knew that they had drones and all this other stuff. But this is an operation beyond what I thought was even capable. And it, I mean, like I'm not trying to like 
pat them on the back or anything like that. I'm, I'm still indifferent about the Houthis in general, but this operation and the execution of the operation is def- definitely goes down. I think in in the history of books for one of the craziest ones that I've that I've ever read about. Well, it's definitely one of the biggest annihilation victories in the past right. flawless like, victory in the past twenty years. It was yeah. an annihilation victory. Like think of think of uh, Mortal Kombat for flawless sure. victory. Hell yeah, fatality and Fat- all fatality. So. What happened is that, so for two days, they were just filtering them into this valley, and then they completely routed them, and a mercenary group with, uh, like, a Saudi-backed mercenary group has about 1,000 troops or so. Right. And then a Saudi armored brigade consists of about 100 armored vehicles. LAV-25s, baby. They have LAV-25s, which are which are Canadian weapon systems, and I believe the U.S. Marines use them. Yeah. Um, feel yeah, free they're, to- they're awesome. Yeah, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure the U.S. Marines buy them in bulk. No, yeah, we do, we do. Yeah, they're so like they're 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 akin to the Bradley fighting vehicles, you know, like they're 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 like troop carriers with guns on them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, armored armored carriers. Yeah, they're they're armored carriers though, and um, I mean, you just, it just shows you the how armed they were. So the Houthis end up killing about 450 troops, and they capture an additional 2,400. And they also captured dozens of Saudi officers. So many of them, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's huge. Yeah, and you see from the videos that they put out, like the like quarter mile long, just like chain gang, basically of, of people that they were herding back to God knows where. I think they were bringing them back to Yemen, right? Um, yeah, they were. They were. I mean, they were nursing the ones that were injured up, and you feel bad for them too. Like you, you really kind of. I felt really bad for these guys who were be, who were captured because you could just tell how poor they were. Um, they, they most of them looked like they were probably from the Sudan or Chad, and they probably had not. When you become a mercenary like that, you 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 have nothing. Like that's why you resort to that. It's not because you want to fight for the princes. You right. you're doing no, it. Nobody because, gives a shit about the princes. <laughs> yeah, no one gives a shit about the princes. You're doing it because you absolutely have nothing, and your family's probably starving. And honestly, it was just like not. It was pretty. It was pretty sad just to see that video and see these people in such desperation. To be to be completely honest, that was my immediate kind of thought. Mm-hmm. But, but to your point, they were dressing their wounds, and like I think they were doing an okay job at like taking care of the folks that they actually did capture. No, the Houthis weren't. They they weren't massacring them. They weren't doing any type of ISIS style beheadings or anything like that, where they were. Uh, you know, beheading people on live TV and videotaping it. They weren't doing anything like that. They're not known to do stuff like that. However, it's it, it wasn't not like it was just the tragedy of the entire situation kind of just hit a a huge. It just kind of you you realize it because not only the people in Yemen are, are suffering from this, but it's like a regional wide conflict that's dra- dragging in just thousands of different people and it's just it's sad it's it's sad to see people in desperation like that that's that's like my my number one observation of like that where you have to resort into you know becoming a a mercenary for some fucking prince who's you know waging this war mainly for greed but i mean back to back Back to to battle back to the battle so you know they were herded into these these valleys literally like they were goats right and it's like when you go into when you put a tank into a valley it's like putting a tank into a city you know it's very vulnerable Mm -hmm. a lot of vantage points to be to be attacked on 
these valleys are like buildings. Right. And you see these guys who are dressed like the Houthis, who are dressed like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, basically. They're, they're dressed like Jesus with Jesus sandals. They're running around and they're chasing these armored vehicles. And these guys who are driving these armored vehicles are freaking out and they don't know what to do. And it's just, it's like they're being, it was insane to watch the, like the footage of this. Like these, go, these, these guys literally dressed, they couldn't have been anything more than, than a fisherman or something or a goat herder. Uh, maybe that's why they were so good at doing this. They like understood the the basic concept, the concepts of of herding, of <laughs> and herding they know the terrain. And and that's really important. Yeah, and they they know the terrain, but it's insane to watch these guys dress in like just garb, like old garb that could have been from the tw- from the beginning of the twentieth century, the nineteenth century, literally look like medieval times, just with 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 guns, routing this huge armored force. It's, it's insane to watch. And they just have they have control of those Saudi hilltops, which is uh, which is which is huge. So that's kind of like a basic rundown of what of what happened. They they uh, totally just they totally just just uh, herded them like like sheep. And I don't know how many times I've said that, but it's just, it's exactly what happened. And you know what this really tells you? It tells you how much. It's either the Houthis are just incredible or the Saudis are terrible. <laughs> a little bit of both, probably. <laughs> it's come out of the Pentagon how bad the Saudis are when it comes to fighting. Because when your army is all mercenaries, it's like, remember, in, you ever seen the movie 300? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? 300? Yeah, totally. When who, hasn't, who, who hasn't watched that movie? Come on. So, like, Xerxes has his... his Embrace me as your king and as your god. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's a slave army. Yeah, totally. And and they just got wrecked by all those those Spartans. Um, But, uh, no, totally. I mean, I think it's in stark contrast, right? So, when when we look at it, on the one hand, uh, you know, obviously these guys are dressed up in, like, sandals and, like, robes and stuff. And somehow they manage to corral all these, like, you know, armored fighting vehicles and thousands of men into these valleys to totally wreck them, right? On the other hand, you know, what's up with Saudi Arabia? I mean, they're, they're, they have modern technology. They're, they're, they're like, being supplied and outfitted by, you know, the United States. And then, and then the third dimension that you're talking about is, like, the majority of these guys, you know, that were captured um, – were like two uh, mercenary groups of like a thousand each, you know? So it's like, all right, you got all these guns and you think you have the leverage because you have all the guns, but uh, it comes down to like individuals, right? Like how well-trained are the individuals? And and the Saudi Arabians like made the wrong bet, right? They thought that throwing money at the problem will make them strong and it didn't, <laughs> it just didn't. Well, when you're a mercenary, you don't really have the same incentive to fight as if you're fighting for your home country, you know what I mean? right. But I mean, even then, I can't imagine that they're training these mercenaries very well. You know, they're just like, here, here's a gun. We got also a bunch of lab 25s. You'll be fine. You know, like off to but, war. <laughs> but also if you're if you're a mercenary, like you're going to put down your gun if you're not if you're going to die and not get paid. Like what's right. the point you're of fighting? A, you're a sellsword, basically. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a sellsword, it's much more likely that you're going to you're not going to risk your life like like somebody who is defending their own country you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah if you're if you're just a mercenary and you're, you're gonna die in a military operation you're gonna be way more likely to throw down your guns and surrender than just run into gunfire it, it, like if you're not gonna catch a, if you're not gonna 
get a paycheck, then what's the point? Right. Totally. And that's the reason why these guys are doing it. It's because they're from really poor countries. And they're getting a paycheck. So that's what happened. Um, it seems like the Saudis have kind of realized that they're losing. And I've yet to hear anything from the Pentagon or Washington. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Is there yeah, anything? I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't read anything about uh, from their side either. I think it's embarrassing, frankly, for them. You know, um, it's embarrassing because, you know, they're so well armed by us. Right. Uh, and we were helping them. Uh, logistically in the war for a while. So it's embarrassing for us, frankly, you know, that they're losing to a bunch of like, you know, dudes in, in sandals, <laughs> frankly, Dude. you know, like, I don't know. It's embarrassing. That's probably yeah. why you're not hearing anything about it. I've heard stuff. I've heard things about the military, about like special, um, special forces guys saying that the U S should at least make a temporary, they should become temporary allies with the Houthis to fight Al Qaeda. Uh, in the Arabian Peninsula. So, um, I mean, dangerous territory, right? We usually <laughs> back the wrong people. So, I don't know. I, I know, but they, <laughs> they they pointed that out. They said that we should, it may make sense to do that. It may make sense to, to ally with these guys and fight these, these worse guys because, I mean, there's no one worse than the Al-Qaeda, the, the Salafist. For sure. The Salafist uh, head choppers. So I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with you on that front, um, but I think this might be a really good segue to our larger conversation about pulling out of Syria because we were allying ourselves with a specific group of people that were pretty good at killing some Salafist head choppers uh, in the past, and uh, those were the Kurds. So that's I think this is a good segue into our main topic here: pulling out of Syria. Yeah, so we both have different views on this. Yeah, we do. Um, so we'll probably debate this um, after you kind of give us the rundown of what what's happening. Um, I, I'll give a quick I'll give a quick um, synopsis. The U.S. announced that we're withdrawing from from north eastern Syria, and um, Turkey is going to the, the safe zone that was established between the U.S. and Turkey has expired, and Turkey is going to now invade the northern part of Syria and uh, essentially wipe out the Kurds. They already started doing it. They started doing it today, I believe. They they mm-hmm. Today's Monday. So they started, I believe there was an airstrike on um, some Kurdish-controlled city. So that's happening as we speak right now. It probably won't last very long because, th- th- I mean, the Turkish army is probably, the Turkish military is probably the best army in the Middle East. Um, I don't think there's really one that compares to it. They have nuclear weapons. They're in part of NATO. They definitely will be able to flatten um, that Kurdish region in probably a pretty short time. Well, we'll see because the Kurds have been fighting in that region for a very long time, and they're pretty dug in, and uh, and they're battle-hardened at this point. So we'll see. Hopefully, Dude, there's, no way, there's no way they last long against the, the Turks. There's yeah, I mean, no I, way. I, they, they've I already agree. got flattened not, in Afrin. I, I mostly agree with you on this one, but I, I wouldn't count. I wouldn't call them out just yet. They're they're pretty good at 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 fighting Turkey. I mean, they they've been doing it for a while, which is I think a good segue to talk a little bit about the Kurdish people. Um, so, I mean, where do you even start? So the Kurds are actually the world's largest ethnic group without a state, right? So they they're bigger than the Palestinians, bigger than you know I don't know name a you know 
disenfranchised people. Uh, they have so many people and they don't have a national like identity. They don't have a, a sovereign nation. Um, and I guess you can take this back pretty far because they, they've been around for a very long time and probably not a lot of people know who the Kurds are in the first place. So I'll give you a quick rundown. So way back in like the 12th century, Sultan Ahmad Sanjar created the first Turkish province. I won't bore you too much uh, with the details from the 12th century to like the, you know, the, the current era. But basically around the fall of the Ottoman Empire, um, the Treaty of Sevres attempted to secure Kurdish uh, autonomy, uh, but failed because Turkey, Syria and Iraq all refused to recognize Kurdish independence. And also Sykes-Picot didn't include them either, so there's that. <laughs> um, so three years later... Uh, no about- Kurdish state. <laughs> None. <laughs> what the fuck is a Kurd? Yeah, exactly, right? That's the point, right? And they've been around for a very, very long time. It's a, it's a question that we still ask ourselves to get today. Seriously, like, uh, they've been around for a very, very long time. Well, most people think Kurds are uh, Arabs. They're not. They're not, that- actually. That's what people think, though. Right, but they're not. So right, they've been around not. since. So we're jumping around a little bit, but uh, they're uh, today they're a Sunni Muslim majority, right? It, like religiously, right? But they existed prior to Islam came to that area, and they do not self-identify as Arabs uh, at the moment. There's a, a bit of a split, um, but um, mostly that's that's where we're coming from. They're they're their own thing. They have their own language. They have their own culture. They have their own you know uh, uh, identities. And it's completely separate. And for hundreds of years, they've been just, you know, get the shit end of the stick. So kind of going back to Sykes-Picot and, and, and the fall of the Ottoman Empire there, a couple of years after that, you know, the world leaders signed the uh, the Treaty of Lausanne, uh, which basically excluded the, the Kurdish people, right? So they were like, nope, sorry, you don't get a Kurdish people. So now they're split between four different uh, nation states, basically. So there's Syria, uh, Iraq, um, and Turkey, of course, that that's the big one. I'm missing one. Which one am I missing, Henry? Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Iran. Correct? Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Lebanon. Not, oh, Turkey, not Turkey, Turkey, Lebanon, too far. Turkey, oh, you mean Kurdish populations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm, I'm forgot. Oh, yeah, it's Syria, Iran. Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Iran. Iran. Yeah, yeah. Turkey. You're right. So there's 30 to 40 million of them, by the way, if you, if you wanted to know the number. Uh, and they live in Turkey, Syria, Iran, and Iraq. Um, but all of those borders are in dispute. Uh, and, and specifically, if we're talking about Turkey, uh, Kurds actually make up 20% of their population, right? That's huge, right? That's not a majority, but that is definitely a plurality. And just thinking about it from an, like an American perspective, percent-wise, as, as far as a percent of the overall population, that's more than 12, that's, that's more than the 12.7% of black or African Americans that are here in the U.S. Uh, according to the, the the 2010 census, right? So that's a lot more, right? Um, so they make up a really big block of the of the Turkish um, population, but for a really long time they just like being like I said, been getting the shit end of the stick. Um, in '72, uh, this guy named Abdullah uh, Ocalan created the PKK, which was their communist Kurdish party, basically. Uh, and it, it was pretty much immediately listed as a terror organization by a bunch of states and organizations, um, including NATO, the U.S., the U.K., Japan, European unions, uh, shit like that. Um, but uh, the United Nations and other countries like Switzerland, China, India, Russia, Egypt, places like that have not designated PKK as a terrorist organization. So it's like a little bit split there. Um, but basically it was founded, like I said, in 78 
um, by a bunch of students uh, that was led by this guy, Ocalan. And uh, basically, it was like a fusion of socialism and Kurdish nationalism. uh, And they wanted to basically make their own state. They wanted to make a communist state specifically. um, And they wanted to call it Kurdistan, uh, which was uh, a pretty good name. Um, So... Uh, I mean, the, the, the reasons why they wanted to do this was because they had been oppressed for a very long time in Turkey. Uh, and, of course, every communist's greatest enemy, capitalism. <laughs> um, they're, they're, the, the Kurds are one of those historic groups have been, that have been um, just really abused. I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll add that. They're, along, with, along with the Jews, the Ukrainians, the Kurds are up there with one of the most abused. Definitely. And just to give groups. you an idea for like what was going on— um, it, basically, everything from the use of the Kurdish language, uh, their dress, uh, folklore, uh, even names uh, were banned in those Kurdish uh, inhabited areas. Um, and even the government banned the word Kurd and Kurdistan or Kurdish uh, temporarily, which is crazy, right? So, I mean, talk about being oppressed. You can't even say your name. Like, imagine if you're black in the United States and you can't even call yourself black. How crazy is that? That is that is a like a level of oppression that's beyond like you can't like so what are they Voldemort <laughs> he who shall not be named like come on uh, later on in in 1980 the um basically they they re, uh, reinstated it um or excuse me in 1980 they officially prohibited it uh, in Turkey um, like overall in both public and private life which means that you could not even speak it privately in your home without getting like arrested or something like that um people were arrested imprisoned and worse tortured like the whole nine yards just for being kurdish i mean this is far and beyond fucked up uh and not a lot of people know about this and and it's only now becoming relevant because of what's going on in syria um and i don't want to skip ahead too far but you know the kurds have been basically fighting on our side for a very long time, you know, since since the the, the original PKK leaders uh, Ocalan's capture and imprisonment in like '99, like their whole movement has moved on from from communism, and now they, I don't really understand their platform, but it's called democratic confederalism, um, and they also have largely stopped calling for a fully independent country, um, and have since have been fighting with you know, allied forces in NATO and things like that in the region. So one big uh, uh, example is the Kurds cited, um, well, this is counter to that example. So the Kurds actually sided with Iran in the Iran-Iraq war. And Saddam Hussein basically like wiped out a bunch of Kurdish villages, hit them with gas attacks, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but since then, they've been exercising autonomy in Iraq in since the Gulf War in the 90s. And actually, they're considered by the U.S. and many others to be one of the, the most the, Iraq's most stable entities. Right. So like that's it, Iraq is fucked up <laughs> like till today. It's pretty messed up. Right. But as far as the Kurdish controlled areas, that's pretty stable. Um, and then the Kurds in Iraq, uh, they their regional government, the Kurdistan regional government and the Peshmerga security forces are actually the fourth largest ethnic group in the region. Right. In the entire region. Fun fact, um, while we're talking about Iraq, uh, the Peshmerga, the Kurdish fighters, were the ones who captured Saddam Hussein in 2003. And then the year later, they captured Bin, Laden, Bin Laden's messenger, which led to the raid on Bin Laden's complex where we killed him. 
So allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> what do you think he's in? Like you know, Las Vegas with like Elvis and and uh, Michael Jackson or whatever. <laughs> uh, let's not get into that. No conspiracy theories <laughs> for today. <laughs> let's not get into that conspiracy theory. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I guess my point here is that you know they've they've been a stabilizing force in the region that's been tumultuous in a very very big way uh and very recently you know they were a huge part in fighting uh isis like a massive part they're very good at killing isis and we've been supporting them uh both with military weapons and training uh and logistics um and we credit a lot of our victories in i mean you can probably ask Trump, he'd probably say so himself, like, you know, in, in annihilating ISIS in the region, like they were instrumental. Um, and, and they're not like the, you know, uh, uh, moderate uh, uh, rebels that we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about SDF here, we're just specifically talking about these Kurds here. And all they really want at this point, you know, and I guess this is important to note, since they're broken up into four different countries, they're not one cohesive unit anymore, right? So parts of them still want a fully, you know, unified Kurdistan that's completely across the board, you know, capturing that entire area. But the majority of them actually just want to work with their host countries to gain almost like a sovereign status within their country, very much like how they have it in in Iraq. And unfortunately, you know, last year, you know, they've been we've, they've been fighting against ISIS. And the moment that we declared victory and we, you know, pulled out, uh, and this was July 2018, uh, the Iraqi army, uh, along with the Iranian-backed Shia militias, invaded Iraqi Kurdistan just a month after they defeated ISIS in that country. And so it's like the second we're done with their usefulness, we're like, all right, fuck you guys, we're we're off, we're off to the races. We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and annihilate you. And this is largely in in response to you know, a referendum that the Kurdish people passed uh, for independence, which passed with 93% of uh, of the vote in favor of separation. Um, I guess this echoes a little bit of like, you know, the, the Crimea, Crimea region of Ukraine and how a lot of them voted to, you know, leave the country. Uh, well, the Kurdish on the other side over here, they all voted to leave the country. And after all that they did for Iraq and the region and killing ISIS, they were met with this response, which was just, you know, invasion, which is crazy. And now we, we skip to today and I'll stop talking for a second because I needed to get a drink of water. But we skipped to today and we're pulling out of Syria again. And the implications are crazy because they were one of our biggest partners in the region and one of the biggest reasons why we were able to suppress ISIS. And now that we're leaving that safe zone in the in the northeast, uh, excuse me, northwest of um, was it northwest or northeast, Henry of Syria? It's northeastern part of Syria. Northeastern part of Syria. Oh yeah, right in the, in, in the top area where, where it borders with um, with Turkey. Now that we've left that area, pretty much immediately, like you said in the beginning of this of this rant, the the Turkish people are, are coming in. They're already starting their campaigns against the against the Kurds, and it's pretty fucked up. You know, and that's my opinion. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So I'll stop. <laughs> I feel so. I I have empathy for the Kurds. They've they've absolutely been historically abused. However, when you annex territory in a country and you start ethnically cleansing other inhabitants there, it's kind of difficult to sit back and say, oh. This is going to be a huge shock that they're going to be invaded. And it's obviously they there's a lot of reports of them ethnically cleansing Arabs out of out of the, their territory that they've that they took over. I mean, basically what happened is that during the Syrian war, when the government's forces were tied down, defending the major population centers and near Damascus and homes, the Kurds came and they annexed all that territory in northeast Syria, and that that territory is like is a territory where there's more oil, where there's more natural resources, so it's important territory. And that's basically what happened. Um, you know, they annexed territory within Syria, and I'm fine for for a limited government autonomy type of thing where they have completely, you know, they have autonomy, kind of like a Hong Kong thing. However, what they were trying to do is that they were trying to create a state and a state, even with even if, let's just say, the all these Kurdish factions connected with each other, you know, within Iraq and Syria and they had some state and the, and the region was completely balkanized, like it's going to be just some dummy state because this doesn't have any sea access. It, it's just going to it's, it's going to have a smaller population than 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 other countries within the Middle East. It's not going to be a state that has any chance of being really anything other than a, a dummy state for, for other, for other powers. So it's, yeah, it sucks for them because the U S they basically use them as a proxy. I mean, no, they, they use them as a proxy because the U S couldn't get support or at least public support for putting ground troops in, in Syria. So they said that the FSA was turning into be a disaster. So they went and turned to the Kurds and they armed and they started using them as the as the U.S. backed coalition because the other forces that they tried backing were completely in, either incompetent or they were ended up to or they were double crossing them and they ended They're up backing the Kurds terrorists. <laughs> or ended up being terrorists. So yeah. they backed the Kurds and the Kurds had this they had a public image of of being uh, bookshinist, right? That, that's 
that's what they're technically are. And yeah, you're right. There are a lot of factions within the Kurdish. I think we're oversimplifying it to a really high degree. Um, absolutely, we are. Um, there, there are different, I guess, factions and levels of, of. Uh, for sure, and of I, extremism I within the movement. Yeah, like I, I definitely, I can't stick up for or apologize for any wrongdoings that that some Kurdish people might have done in terms of the ethnic cleansing. Mostly because I haven't read the same articles as you have. Maybe we'll align on that in another episode. Um, but you know, generally speaking, it's important to know that like the different like populations of Kurds in different countries are pretty separate from one another. Uh, even down to language, as I mentioned before, like the Turkish, you know, Turkey only recently started letting them teach the uh, the, the Kurdish language only in private schools in Turkey. You know, so like down, down to a language barrier, many of these uh, uh, Kurdish people don't even have the same like cohesive connection with one another. So it's entirely possible. And I'll, I'll, I'll take your word on this, that, that there are some factions of Kurdish, uh, Kurdish people that were absolutely fucked up. And I, I abhor that. And I, I, you know, I definitely think that that's totally wrong in, in any, uh, in any case. But another thing to say is that Turkey is going from Turkey, their, their sovereign state, and they're moving into Syria to wipe out people that are currently in Syria. Right. If if it's a problem that that the Syrians annexed this area, then the Syrians should be doing something about it. Turkey shouldn't be moving in just to wipe out because they literally have a political, you know, uh, um, vendetta against the Kurdish people. You're right. I agree with that. Turkey, Turkey is it is fucked up. And the same reason why Turkey is is doing that, why they're why they're invading Syria is the same reason why Russia stepped into the war. In, into the Syrian war, right. um, Russia stepped into the war. I mean, there, there's uh, the two main reasons why they stepped into the war was because they had port access within Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, their only Mediterranean port was located in Syria. And then the other big reason was because they didn't want a Sunni corridor linking up between Syria and, and Iran. And mm-hmm. well, a Sunni corridor that would, that would link up with the Chechnyan terrorists that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are in, that are in Russia. Right. So they wanted to stop that from happening, and that was a big reason because a lot of the foreign fighters that are in Syria, a lot of the ISIS guys, a lot of the people in Al Qaeda, a lot of the really extremist ones are from this, are from former Soviet bloc states. Yeah, it's a big mix, mix match of Arabs. It's a, it's a collection of the world's losers, basically. It's a big <laughs> collection of the world's biggest losers who respond to like the jihadist propaganda, and they go. And they try to start a caliphate in the middle of the, in, in Syria. I mean, that's what they are. Russia wanted to make sure that there was gonna there was gonna be no connection between mm-hmm. extremists within the Russian borders and the extremists within Syria. So they wanted to shut that down. Yeah. I think that's what Turkey is trying to. That, that, it's the Definitely. same reasons. It's it's. I'm not saying it's right because the Kurds. I'm not trying to compare the Kurds with the extreme the extremist Salafist. However. Um, I mean, that's that's why they're doing it. And they're going to be doing it probably in a pretty bloody way. Um, they they hate the Kurds. Um, they say it. They see it. Or at least they say it is a natural a, a national security threat to them. And they're they're going to do it. I mean, they're, they've already started doing it. Right. And and the only they're only doing it because we pulled out now to to the to to an earlier point you're made. And I think this was important. You know, if. There was a Kurdistan, or even if they were like you know loosely you know uh, uh, autonomous within Syria and within Iraq and within parts of Turkey, just 
loosely autonomous on their own. What you know, you're absolutely right in saying that that they would be landlocked. It would be hard for their economy to get a start, and they would they they would be at risk of being like a puppet for you know other. Uh, 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 extremist groups. I'll, I'll, I'll counter that with a few things. And they would just be dependent on foreign aid. For um, sure. Uh, they, they would be completely dependent on U.S. foreign aid. They wouldn't be able to exist without it. It, it would just be, it wouldn't be a state with, with an economy. It, it just, it, it would be an ethno state landlocked in front of neighbors who hate them um, that that would be completely dependent on foreign aid. Um, it would be like Israel, honestly. Like, I hear that. Israel, Israel has access to the Mediterranean. And I hear that the, and, and the education levels are way higher, and it, it, I mean it'd be way worse in Israel. So it, it just—I mean, what, what the thing they have in common is that they would be surrounded by neighbors who hate them. However, ain't um, that the truth? And and here's the thing about that: I'm glad that you brought that up because you know because of the Kurdish um, uh, a history of helping the United States and helping Israel, frankly, they would have allies within the region. So first of all. Bibi Netanyahu himself have come out, you know, uh, and, and said that you know this is a bad idea. That they would love the Kurds to you know be their own thing because they they would see them as a friendly neighbor, you know, in the region. Um, and uh, just to counter a little bit of like their uh, well, Israel buys a lot of their oil from uh, um, Iraqi Kurdistan. That's right. That's right. And so they, that they to buy another, a very large percentage of their oil from Iraqi Kurdistan. Exactly. And and to that point, in, in terms of set, setting up and establishing an economy, a lot of the areas that the Kurdish people would be occupying, if there was a Kurdistan, would be pretty oil rich. I mean, not not like S- Saudi Arabia oil rich, to, to be very frank. It would be, but they would have a source of income and they would have a like a national and, and sovereign unity. And they'd be able to express and practice their uh, not religion, they're Sunnis. Um, they'd be free to uh, express and practice their culture uh, and things like that. And, and, and we're not really talking about you know particularly like whether or not they should be able to you know uh, uh, have a language or a culture. But like the point is that in the nations that they've been uh, co-inhabiting um, with other uh, countries, like they've been historically oppressed. So I see a good reason for them to have their own thing, kind of like in the northwest of Iraq. Right. Where it's been traditionally very stable, has held off ISIS attacks, Iraqi attacks, Iranian attacks, you know, have fought in a crazy ass civil war uh, in Syria. So they're not like these this pushover state. I don't I don't actually think that they would be as dependent as as you make it out to be, Henry. I think they would have a source of income in oil revenues. They would have friendly neighbor in in um, Israel. They would have most definitely they would have uh, American support, although shit after what Trump just did, maybe not. (laughs) And, you know, they they would have the start to what they needed. I think I don't think it would be as 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 weak or or, um, as you as you put it. I, I think they definitely would because they, they I mean, to order they can have oil, but they're going to have to use a pipeline to get that oil for, into the sea. If they want to just sell all their oil to Israel, then fine. But if they want to sell their oil to, I mean, it's sick. That's Israel is a population of less than ten million people. So right. I mean, obviously we're, they would need to no, we're not talking them. about. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be able to export their oil to the big oil markets in the east. So they're going to have a big they problem. Can, they can definitely be a regional player, and I, de- I definitely agree that like they would need to get along with their neighbors for sure. 
You know, well, it's really hard for them. It's re- it'd be really hard for them. I mean, and I'm not saying that Turkey's in the right. I'm just saying that Turkey hates them, and that's the reality of the situation. <laughs> yeah. They're a NATO ally, right? So you can't. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean shit because of what Trump just recently said. How if they do something that you know he feels in his infinite wisdom, what what did he say in his unmatched wisdom? Uh, you know. I'm, I'm loosely quoting Trump here, but that's pretty much what he said. In his unmatched wisdom, if they did something that he's that he thinks is crossing a line, that he would absolutely destroy the Turkish economy. So NATO ally or not, like that's that doesn't mean shit to Trump or for anyone at this point. Yeah, but Trump says a lot of shit and doesn't really mean it most. But that's of the time. that's kind of what I'm worried about because like we're pulling out of out of Syria, right? What we were worried about, what I was worried about was literally happened the day of right turkey comes in to try to wreck shit and and all we get from trump is like yeah yeah, you know don't cross that line (laughs) i know the line's not even drawn it's just like what is what is that line it's his infinite wisdom whatever he thinks in his infinite wisdom is is too far (laughs) gassing gassing the people uh, Gussing even... beautiful, beautiful children. Yeah, the U.S. is very um, good at red lines, are they? <laughs> yeah, the red, the red line. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that the U.S. is going to choose the Kurds over over Turkey. No, uh, they're not realistically. In, in any, in, in, realistically, not in, any, soon. in any in any scenario, they'd have to have such horrible PR. Like they'd have to be just repeating the Armenian genocide type of thing for the world's nations to be like, oh, okay, um, they're doing it again. They did, they did, they're it's, doing it again. They're doing it again. I mean, t- how many Turkey, because how many, how many mass genocides has Turkey been spearheading? That's, you know, that's true. Ma- many throughout history. Many, many, many. They, they were the mass genocide of Christians when they sacked, when they sacked um, Constantinople. There is a sack of I mean, there was a humongous genocide of Armenians in the early 20th century. But to this day is largely still unrecognized. Which they still deny. Yep. They haven't recognized that yet, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not making that up. Nope. They, yeah, they haven't recognized their, their, their genocide. It's funny because Hitler... It's not funny because of Hitler. Never, never it's say funny it's funny. Hitler. <laughs> it's funny because of Hitler. Because um, Hitler, he was like, well, they didn't do anything... I'm not sure if this is a real quote from Hitler or not, but I was on a walking tour in Berlin and the tour guide said this was a quote. So I'm assuming that a tour guide and a walking tour in Berlin is an absolute authority on the subject, right? Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm taking it for yeah. as an authority. Let's hear he it. Did, he did know his shit. Like, don't <laughs> get me wrong. This guy knew his stuff about World War II. How, he said that, you know, it was Hitler. It was a British guy because all the tour guides are British. Hitler once said that it was he used the Armenian genocide as a way, he, as an example of getting away with killing the Jews. So hmm. I well, digress. That's not, that's not fun. That's I I digress. All right, back to the Kurds. So I don't know. I think I think they're they're uh, swimming up Shit's Creek without a paddle right now. I mean, I find myself in a really interesting, like bringing this domestically a little bit. I find this weird for me because I'm now suddenly sitting in the same boat as people like Robert Pattinson <laughs> uh, and um, and the folks on uh, the, the, the Fox and Friends channel, uh, Brian Kilmeade and Lindsey Graham. Suddenly I'm... 
They don't give a shit about the Kurds. They, they, no, they just don't, want the U.S. Like, they the just want the U.S. to have a presence in Syria and in the Northeast. That's all. They don't give a shit about the Kurds. Right, when right. do they become humanitarians? <laughs> when did Bibi Netanyahu become an, a humanitarian? Well, I mean, well, you know. Lindsey Graham said it was irresponsible and unnerving to the car. That's because he's basically paid off by basically every lobby in Washington. For sure. He what about Brian Kilmeade? Is, is he paid off? He said it was disastrous as you know to leave the, the Kurds to fend for themselves. It's disastrous to leave the Kurds and to leave a war that we probably should we never should have been involved in, <laughs> in the first place. It's sure. absolutely disastrous to to leave. It's fucked up that the U.S made false promises to the Kurds and, and gave them the expectation that we were going to stay there forever and support them and keep Turkey out from invading them. But it just shows you how fucked up U.S. foreign policy is to begin with, rather than you can't keep on making the same mistake. Are we going to have just bases within Kurdistan and nor- in, in northeastern Syria forever? I mean, that's that's within a, a sovereign country's borders. That's That's within the Syrian borders. It's not like some state sound like east germany like we're, we're literally there's bases within the country of syria that, that the kurdistan that was created was in within a, a sovereign country with an elected president you can't just have bases in there indefinitely and now turkey is going to go in there and it's going to be a, it's going to be a disaster in the area but the u.s should have nothing involved in it they should not have they should not be involved in that. They should not be involved in that. They should not be involved in like these ceasefires with Turkey. They should let these these Middle Eastern countries sort these things out within themselves, and not get not have troops there, not have bases there. It's a waste of fucking money. Well, the expenditures are nuts. The the amount we spend on keeping forces and bases in the Middle East, it's been nothing but disastrous and painful. I mean, Trump was absolutely correct when he said that Syria was nothing but has death. I agree with them on moving those troops out. And they're not going to be moving troops out of all of Syria, believe me. They're going to be... I'm talking like Trump now. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. keep the best forces in. Believe me. They're going to keep... I guarantee you they're going to keep troops in that that Al-Tanf area. And, I mean, they're they're never going to allow a land bridge... (laughs) A land bridge. I love that word. You mean a road. Um... To connect Iran with with potentially Hezbollah going through Iraq and Syria and into and into you know Beirut or, or really anywhere in Lebanon to hook up with Hezbollah to uh, to create a corridor where Iran can arm Hezbollah. So they're never gonna they're never gonna leave that base. They're never gonna leave that area. They used the Kurds as a proxy army to occupy Syria when they couldn't garner support to actually put boots on the ground. So they used them they used them and abused them. And it's not Trump's fault because Trump Trump inherited that problem. Trump inherited that problem. It's Obama's fault. Fucking Obama. Fucking Obama. Well, you know, if if Trump moves through with this, which he will, you know, uh he's going to lose favor with God because Patton Robertson said, you know, and I'm going to quote him because it was funny. Uh, the president who allowed Jamal Khashoggi to be cut in pieces without any repercussion whatsoever is now allowing the Christians and the Kurds to be massacred by the Turks. Oh, these fucking assholes can blow. <laughs> he, said, he said, hold on, this is the best part. Hold on, hold on. He says, the president of the United States is in danger of losing the mandate of heaven if he permits this to happen. <laughs> Dude, how can you go against God? The mandate of heaven says we have to go in endless war in Syria. 
the mandate of heaven says that we have to have an endless war and protect the the, the an ethno state from from being invaded by another bully state. So no, it's what do you? All right, so so okay, so bar, barring barring like a Kurdistan or you know even barring like uh, uh, actually I, I won't put any conditions on it. What do you think is a good like ending? What what's a good conclusion for the for the Kurds here? What what would you what would you propose like a good conclusion for the Kurds be the, the best the best conclusion for them is to become part of Syria is to is to try to strike a deal with Assad where they can kind of govern autonomously in northeastern Syria and at least there could be some brokerage between Syria and Turkey that would that would protect them I think that would be the best course of action for them if they they would have to go and and become part of the Syrian government. I think that's the really that's really the only way because during the war during the Syrian war when the Turk when the Kurds tried to to um, in, invade um, Al Tanf they were they were what happened is that there was a deal that was brokered out between Assad and and uh, Erdogan where Assad turned off the air defenses because the Turks the Kurds were actually protected by the Syrian air defenses against the Turks. And when they went up to Al-Tanf, they ended up getting blown to smithereens from Turkish airstrikes. So it, it, their best chance is to broker a deal with, with, with the Syrian government. And, and I don't know what the economic situation would be, but to, I guess, open up that, that, that land to be used by, by Syrian companies to, uh, I guess, export oil or, or to to drill oil and and just become back and become like a confederacy within within Syria or something like that. That's your best course of action is is to try to become part of Syria and and try to get some autonomous rule in that area like Hong Kong. But I don't see any other solution for them because the U.S. isn't going to side. Because Syria, all right. So Turkey will invade Syria to get rid of the Kurds because now the it, Turkey is on the same side as Assad now because they have overlapping interests to get rid of the Kurds because the Kurds right now are are, are basically, I mean, they haven't really fought the Syrian army um, and they've been fighting the same people. They've been fighting the same um, jihadist, so they've kind of been lined up with the same interest. However, they're still not allies. They just happen to be fighting on the same side. However, they're not al- they're not friends, so it's kind of a good thing for for Assad to have Turkey come in and take them out, because Turkey is not going to be able to they're they're not going to want to fight Syria within a war. I mean, Turkey would still destroy Syria in a war. However, it wouldn't be as easy as taking on the Kurds. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't disagree with your your judgment there on on working with Syria and becoming a kind of an independent state. Um, within Syria, you know, like operating under there. But I mean, they, we, if we're talking about like the parts of Turkey that did that in Iraq, you know, they set up in northwestern Iraq, just along the border of that northeastern Syrian area that's that's uh, controlled by the Kurds. And, you know, they were doing fine. And like I mentioned before, they, they were probably the most stable region in Iraq, you know, throughout all the many years of, of turmoil in Iraq. And the moment that, you know, ISIS left what we saw last year was uh, Iraq started invading them. Iraq and Iran, frankly, started invading them just just because because they don't like them. You know, so like I I'm skeptical about you know even that being an option because it seems like you know I I can't even get off the ground because before they even 
can try and start having talks with Assad about about setting something like that up. You know, the the Turkish forces are already rolling into Syria, and and I'm actually also concerned that Turkey's just not going to leave that area after they capture it. I think they're going to annex it. Frankly, I think they're going to say we got to take this because the Kurds, right? And and then that'll that'll roll up into a bigger conflict. Um, you know that will be that will be probably a bad move for Turkey at the end because they're going to have to spend a lot of money on occupying that area, and it's going to be it's not going to be like a fun. It's they're going to I think they're going to just march on in there, but they're still going to have to deal with an insurgency if they start occupying it. So a I don't think that's going to be insurgency. It's going to be it, a tough one for them, dude. Honestly, it's, it's gonna it's not going to be it's not going to be a fun thing for Turkey to deal with. No. It's probably going to be become a war of attrition if if there's right. a pretty large. And if we learned anything there, but, from the beginning of the show, the you know the the dudes in the sandals that know the region and know the terrain, and they're they're pretty dangerous. So yeah. Um, I guess that is similar. And just to go back one one thing, so all these guys who are who are who have crocodile tears over the Kurds right now, like Lindsey Graham. Yeah, fuck those guys. They're not being. Fuck, they're, they're they not don't, being. They don't give honest. a. Sh- yeah, no, they don't no. give a. Sh- they don't give a flying shit about anyone right. outside. But it makes me feel weird that they're all. that they're like at least. Like well, that's how you know you're on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. you can, because Lindsey because Lindsey Graham this is ruining my opinion. <laughs> Lindsey Lindsey Graham. I don't know what happened after because he, he started actually condemning the the war in Yemen for yeah, like out of nowhere. Was, that was out weird. of nowhere. It was after it was after they killed Jamal Khashoggi because that's what everyone started caring about Yemen. You know, again, that was a pretty horrifying thing, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. But that war in Yemen was going on well before, years before the war in Yemen, and no one really batted an eye out it, eye at it. And no one cared. Um, it took the, the murder of a Washington Post journalist for people to care at all. So these guys who cry crocodile tears when they're just gung ho about getting into every other war in the world and it's it's they're they're disingenuous and they're full of shit and um i would i wouldn't i i would examine my position if i was on the same side of them <laughs> i guess i ended up on the same side we both ended up on the same side as lindsey graham when it came to yemen yeah right however <laughs> however i have my suspicion i mean the saudi war in yemen was it was such a disaster. Hey, you know, it's, it's hard to look at. I it mean, you know what fake. they, you know what they say. But let's give Lindsey Graham a, a, a pass on this one. A, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, you know, maybe he, maybe he's authentic. <laughs> Lindsey Graham, the a guy who needs to have his head examined, is one weird man. Um... All right. Well, maybe we can we can wrap that here. I don't think we're going to get any further. Uh, before we jump into Q and A, I just want to make a quick little announcement to our listeners here at Bro History. There's an awesome new app out that is called Escape the Vape, and it's available on Android and iOS. And you can download it right now. It's an awesome, awesome app. Think about all of those apps out there that help you to quit smoking. Well, this one is if you are hooked on the Jewel, like I am. And you can earn awesome badges and learn all about how not vaping will save your life. (laughs) So go ahead and download that shit now. Uh, They're a sponsor of ours, and uh, we thank them for supporting the show. Yeah, every single time that Danny, uh, he vapes in the background, and 
when either of us when i when i'm on editing duties and i hear the vape because i don't notice it when we're actually talking i'll hear the vape on editing duties and i'll be like daddy what the fuck <laughs> i'll be so mad i'm like i heard a vape ah <laughs> and like i always text i always text danny and I, and it'll be at like four in the morning. I'll be like, what the fuck? The vaping. Vape. Stop the vaping. Stop the vaping. So hopefully this app will help me escape the vape and it'll make our show better. And by downloading their app, you'll be supporting the show. So go ahead and check it out. Again, that's Escape the Vape. It's available on iOS and Android today. All right. Thank you, Escape the Vape. Thank you, Escape the Vape. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the good old questions. The Q and A. We don't really have that many. You guys have been slacking. Yeah, right. What Hit the us up. fuck? Info at Bro History. It's real. Info at Bro History is where you send the stuff. We're probably we're recording this early, so we'll, we'll probably get all the yeah get all the emails. questions like tomorrow. <laughs> um. All right. What we have one. We got two. Oh, we got two. Oh, all right. So the one is about the North Korean launching a ballistic missile from a submarine last week. Um, so did you guys hear about the North about North Korea launching ballistic missile from a submarine last week? I did not. I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. It was pretty interesting, actually. I'd, I'd like to uh, in the future do uh, an episode on on submarines because I think that's the one um, like military tech that we haven't done yet. Um, but uh, it's pretty incredible. I mean, obviously, they, they, I want to dig into this a little deeper um, so that we can talk more at length at you know North Korea's new round of you know their war against Atlantis, uh, which is what I call it, uh, because they've been launching rockets into the sea again. Um, but this is um, this is a big step, uh, and the reason you, you came up with that <laughs> the war against Atlantis. No, I didn't. I got that. Somewhere. Oh, <laughs> that would have been great to coin. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> um, I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off. An eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. No, uh, so I mean they, they've been making some strides, and I think this one is a per- particularly big one um, for for a couple of big reasons. So one, uh, we already know that uh, the current um, you know, ballistic missiles that uh, North Korea have been using, you know, have the capability to strike in the region, right? And their longest range uh, weapons could maybe strike Guam, maybe long shot hit uh, Hawaii, but like largely we've been like, eh. Never gonna happen. Not gonna not gonna come anywhere near us. Well, this recent round uh, that they've been doing since the early um, 
uh, since earlier this summer uh, of ballistic missile testing has been increasing. And the fact that they were able to successfully launch a uh, missile, uh, a rocket from a submarine makes their range capabilities so much wider. So why? Why, Henry? Why is this a big deal? Well, if you got a rocket that can go, say, I don't know, thousand miles, right? Then if you shoot it from the land, you can only go a thousand miles. Makes sense, right? But if you put it in a submarine and you make that shit swim all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and stay in your in your, you know, international waters. Then I drink y'all milkshake. Exactly. They're gonna drink the shit out of your milkshake. <laughs> so You know that reference, right? No, I don't actually. <laughs> what the fuck oh are you talking God. about? It's the best reference in the world. You'd ever seen There Will Be Blood? I didn't. You gotta watch the last watch the movie's phenomenal, so go watch the film is phenomenal. It's not a movie, it's a film. It's very good. It has the best ending I've ever seen in a film. Oh, it involves a, it's Daniel Day Lewis. I'll have to check it out. Daniel Day Lewis. Of course. Abraham Lincoln. The, Daniel, the, the Abraham Lincoln also uh Bill the Butcher. Right. He plays an oil ba- uh baron who's just it's a story of an oil baron making his wealth, and it's just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal film. Thanks for the it's same guy who made Boogie Nights. <laughs> the same guy who made uh, I forget the director's name, but the writer of Boogie Nights, or not the writer, the the director of Boogie Nights. All right, I digress. Anyway, so like I was saying, they put it on a, uh, a submarine, <laughs> and they can go into the water. Uh, and come closer to the United States, or frankly, anywhere they want. You know, as lo- as wide, as far out as their little submarines can go, and that feasibly increases the range at which they can launch their rockets. Right, so this becomes a problem. Now, don't worry too much. You know, I'm not saying you know get get nervous because unfortunately for the North Koreans, and fortunately for everybody else, they use old diesel power submarines, uh, which means that they're fucking loud. Loud as hell, uh, and you can hear them coming a mile away, so they're not super stealthy. Uh, so we'd know if they were swimming around in the ocean, but it is a big ocean, so something we got to pay attention to, and I'd love to dig into this a bit more for a future episode. Um, yeah, we got to do some more North Korea stuff. We haven't really been doing it that much, mm-hmm. just because they really haven't been in the news. Last episode, I recommend listening to our podcast um, on North Korea that we released about, I don't know, like six months ago or so during the Hanoi summit, we, we released a couple of podcasts on them and I thought they were actually really good because, um, we went over basically like what they had, what North Korea had in their, in their artillery, um, in addition to their, to their nuclear warheads and their nuclear program. I think that's a good, a good resource. Uh, not just because we did it. I think it's actually pretty good. If you want to learn more about North Korea, listen to that podcast by Bro History. I'm pitching ourselves. <laughs> Thanks, um, Bro our, History. <laughs> thank you, Bro History. Um, the other question is just from my friend who sent me one. Um, and it's just about the protest at Wall Street today. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been spending all day at home today because it's my birthday, but I didn't see this. So tell me all about it. Yeah, so... What he's talking about is that there was a protest at Wall Street today, mm-hmm. and it was a climate change protest. Okay. It was a 
it was just a complete shit show. It was they they splattered the bill the the Wall Street bull with blood with fake blood. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> they had signs of um, like no more nuclear energy, which was weird. That's strange. That's strange. And it's they there was no coherent message or anything. It was just a party for these people. And I had a lot of protest movements because I, I I was there. Um, and I wasn't there at the protest. I passed it. And there was a, it was, um, just a lot of bums. Like, to be nice. Like, just homeless people? Just jobless people. (laughs) Like, it was just a lot of bums. Well, I mean, if you're protesting in the middle of the day, I always question, don't you have a job? (laughs) And it was just kind of gross. Like, people were dressed, it, the thing I hate about these protests, and I'm not going to try to make a statement on, cl- on on climate change or or any of that, but a lot of, and this goes for things that I agree with too, like um, Julian Assange rallies and stuff like that, and like free Assange rallies, and a lot of like um, anti-war ally, uh, rallies, and a lot of like Palestine rallies. You go to like these rallies that they, they or these protests, they're always fucking filled with people who don't understand the issue whatsoever. And you'd have a hell of a lot more luck if you called your congressman and you spoke to them about the issue and you said, hey, this is going on. You call your, why don't you call your state assemblyman? Like learn the process of, of, of local government and do it that way because you're going to get a hell of a lot further with your political activism with a suit on and talking to people and lobbying yourself and going to talk to congressmen and going, like you're just going to, it's yeah the protests are valuable and stuff but like when you start like uh dropping blood on statues um and and just littering and causing and causing um i mean you're you're hurting the the you're polluting because you're the place was a fucking mess i passed this place it was garbage everywhere it was gross so people who are Involved a lot of people who get involved in this political activism, they're they're just in it for the party. You know what I mean? And it's really annoying because uh, there's a lot of things that I agree with with a lot of these political campaigns, but people don't know what the fuck they're talking about half the time. You know, like you'll go you'll go to a Julian Assange thing, and people will be talking about God knows what. You know, they'll just be talking about like the corporations or blah 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 blah. blah. They're not. They're not going to be actually talking about Julian Assange and what happened and, and why the case is bullshit. But it's people need to to get educated on things before they start getting involved in activism. I only partly agree with you. So I, I agree that that uh, people should definitely call their their Congress people and their Assembly people uh, to get shit done. But the I, war in Iraq, the protests in Iraq on the Iraq war didn't do anything. There was humongous no, protests no, no, for no, the Iraq but war. I, I disagree with that too. I don't think they do nothing. I think they do something. I think they call attention to those matters. And like, do you think the media is going to pick up on like niche issues that you call your assemblyman for? No, they're not going to pick up on that shit. And frankly, Congress doesn't do shit until it becomes like a big national story that's covered by every mainstream media. So there is a place for for uh, assembly. I mean, these people are just exercising their freedom of assembly, and I think it's beautiful. Uh, do I think that they're all cohesive? Absolutely not. I mean, Occupy Wall Street is like one of the one of the biggest examples. Like most of the 
uh, uh, talking points that came out of Occupy Wall Street I agreed with, but at the same time, I totally disagreed with the fact that so many of them were completely incoherently just Joe like, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan had uh, the best take on this out of anyone on Occupy Wall Street. It's a bunch of it's a white it's a bunch of white blood cells who are mad. But like they know that they should be mad and they're pissed off, but they don't know who to be mad at. So they're 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 destroying everything. Like that's how he yeah, described. And, and, like the I mean, way he I'd, did, I'd he worded your, it was really well. On. I'm paraphrasing him. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing him right now. But he did it. He he described Occupy Wall Street really well. I mean, I take I take your I, I I side with you on the fact that you know they they should if they're there for a climate uh, uh and you know like a climate protest and they're then littering and things like that like that's. Uh, oxymoronic in 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 every sense of the word um but also like defacing shit like i like when if you're if you're there to protest like i'm all about peaceful protests you know if you want to do your march like there's ways to organize a protest where you get you know police presence to like make sure that you're safe and that cars don't fucking hit you and that you know that you can walk through and and speak your voice and shit like that like i definitely think that you should be able to do that um, but I'm, I'm not for defacing property or breaking windows or like in your point to your point littering and shit like that. That's like that's fucking messy and, and bad. And it just hurts the it hurts the message. And to your point, I guess maybe the, their message wasn't super solid in the first place. But uh, I wasn't there. I didn't read about it yet. This is brand new for me. My point is that people should be allowed to assemble. And I think there's a lot of value to that because it brings the attention where the attention needs to be brought. Uh, and yeah, you're going to get a bunch of people who don't know what the fuck they're doing, but you know what? That's another body. You know, how, how does this sound? A hundred people who know their shit were protesting at, at wall street about something or 10,000 people. Most of them that don't know their shit protested against some shit. Like which one's going to end up in the news? Obviously the 10,000 one, right? So there's, there's some usefulness to that. The thing is though, is that it causes people who would be when you see one side behaving like that when you see someone who's acting in on behalf of a political cause or a, a cause or, or just any cause behaving poorly then it reflects bad on the cause itself for sure so yeah i'd agree with that let's just say for example let's just say if you're at a pro-palestine uh, rally right. or something like that mm-hmm. and you're behaving like a complete jackass you're making that whole movement seem right. like a farce you're making that movie right. seem like a and then meanwhile the other side is going to be in suits and ties and they're going to be speaking politely and they're going to be knocking door to door speak, speaking to politicians so you're just setting yourself up for failure um if you, I mean, if you I'm protest all about the all above. like that just don't be a jackass i agree with protesting that. somewhere you heard it here at bro history don't be a you can go protest but don't be a jackass yeah, and don't and maybe, ruin maybe people's read, commutes. Yeah, maybe, maybe read the the Facebook invite and learn a little bit about what you're protesting. So that if what you get, are we protesting? If you We're get protesting you know. <laughs> Chick Fil A. Why? The chicken just tastes too good to be real. <laughs> I mean, whatever it is that you're protesting, like just like maybe do a quick. Google search. I mean, you, every uh, almost everybody. Oh my! My fucking phone went off. When if I you said have that. to do a quick Google search before the protest to get you inspired, the protest, then chances are you don't know the nuance of the issue. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, but that's why I'm encouraging everyone to Google it, right? Because they might find out. Hey, am I really? Do I really care about this? You know, is this important to me? And if it does, if it is, if it is important, and you do want to go protest, go for it. Go do it. Like, do it peacefully. Don't don't wreck shit. You know, use the proper channels, and then also. 
follow that shit up with like real political action and that's you know put the suit on go to congress you know uh call your senator do what you need to do do all of those things that's i think in all of the above is is how you make make the change you want to call attention to something with a giant protest cool but then you got to follow that shit up bother the hell out of all of your just a, lo- a lot of the a lot of these protests are just they're hijacked by by careerists and opportunists and and just frankly people who are bored um like the fucking women's marches in new york city like what the hell i know people who went to those protests who went to those women's marches who who couldn't name the two senate their own senators they couldn't they, they can't name their own governor they can't name any like they they don't know they're totally ill-informed about every single issue and yet those are a lot of the people who i know yeah but i mean like like like, while while i think that's terrible that they can't name their own senator and shit like that you don't need to know the name of your senator to 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 feel like women have been oppressed or that women deserve equal rights in this country like i don't i don't here's my liberal coming out i don't think yeah but then they go and they just make a mockery out of the situation where they wear pussy hats and they're just vulgar anyone who's looking at them knowing who your senator is has nothing to do with 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 that you should know that you should know a little bit yeah like, but that to, doesn't you have to do know with who the your issue senators hand, are you know? it's like shit like we you know there's plenty of shit that we don't know about nevertheless we we feel strongly about topics that we do know about right so i don't know i don't i i don't i don't like that that um that the i mean it's, i'm not saying that you're, what you're saying is disparaging but what i am saying is that you don't have to be informed about every single thing just to engage in, in political action. And, and the freedom of assembly is, is a tenant that's in, you know, the United States blood, you know, like it's a part, it's a part of our constitution, like the, the right to assemble. Uh, and I think people should be, should be free to exercise it just in the same way that idiots in this country are free to say whatever the fuck they want, you know, because of the first amendment also idiots in this country should be allowed to protest shit, even if they don't know who their Senator is. You heard it. You should protest if you don't know who your senator is. <laughs> you should protest the Department of Education for, for not teaching you basic stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, you want to end it with that? Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, things may change between now and Monday with both of the stories that we covered. So um, don't you know leave your complaints for the internet. And <laughs> and uh, rate and review the podcast. We are almost at 200, which would mean a tremendous, a great, great deal. I'll, I'll just say that. And uh, we're hitting that number. And, um, yeah, look forward to releasing our next episode. And, um, Danny, when do you get back from the great state of Austin? Are you going to be saying hi to our friends? Uh, hell, yeah, I will. Uh, I'm probably going to link up with Mr. Sue while I'm out there. So maybe we'll do a little collab while I'm out there. Who knows? It'll be fun. Yeah, you should you should do that. Shout out to Mr. Sue mm-hmm. um, of a boy named Sue. Um, very good podcast, and uh, you guys should be listening to it. And uh, Danny, I'm happy you're going to be getting to meet him. He's a he's a cool dude. Definitely. All right. Um, peace, guys. See ya.
Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.